I was uh, in uh, Detroit and speaking at a church, and uh, they had asked me to speak to the high schoolers, and I told them I don't <clears throat> relate well to teenagers. I've worked with them all my life. I still don't like them. <laughs> and, uh, and I just said, uh, I'm not really good at that. And, no, and so after the first service, they, they have the Sunday school classes, and they had, uh, please, could you just come and talk 10 minutes to the young people? So I reluctantly agreed, and I walked in this room with 400 teenagers. Can you imagine? And uh, uh, I, I, I started, and I said, I'm sorry, you have to listen to an old, ugly missionary. And the kid up in the front row said, you're not so old. <laughs> he didn't say anything about being ugly. <laughs> you know, when Margaret and I were on the way here from Issaquah this morning, uh, we passed an overpass, an overpass, and and there were, you know, people put signs up there and so forth. And somebody this morning had put up uh, the word John 3.16. John 3.16. And you know that verse, don't you? But, you know, I'm surprised at how many of us don't use it. You know, the next time the Mormons come to your door, don't let them in. And don't let them talk much. Because all they say is deceit, lies. Uh, they've been trained to use Christian wording to even fool some of us. And so when they start talking, say, hey, listen... Uh, you know, I, I need to tell you something. Do you believe in Jesus? And they'll always say what? Oh, yes. And then you say, do you believe Jesus is the only way to glory, to salvation? Oh, they say yes. But they don't believe that. They say it. So you say, well, oh, good. Then I would like to quote you something from the Word of God. Do you believe the Word of God? Yes. Well, I don't believe the Book of Mormon. But we say both of us believe the Word of God. So let me quote you something from the Word of God. And then you quote John 3.16. Now listen carefully. You say, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only. And then it says this, begotten son. You say you believe in Jesus, but your Jesus that you teach is the brother of Lucifer. Not the same Jesus. You say that we are sons and there are many kind of Christ. No, no. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then you say, now before you leave, make sure they're going to leave, I would like to share another verse with you. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, said that he was the way. I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father by my me. Now listen carefully, you say to them. Jesus said, I am the way. Without the way, there's no going. I am the truth. Without the truth, there's no knowing. I am the life. Without the life, there's no living. And then you say, hasta la vista. <laughs> no, you're not rude. Don't be rude. But at the same time, make sure they hear the gospel. You see, we think our reasoning kind of brings people to Christ. No, 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 it's the gospel. Remember what it says in Romans. Romans says, 116 says, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. To everyone that believes. And remember that. You and I, see, I'm intimidated of others. It's hard for me to share the gospel. You know, just kind of walk up and share the gospel. But, you know, I, you know you, sometimes we're so concerned. Are we dressed right? Uh, have we taken our breath mints? Am I using the four points just right? You know, we get all confused. Remember, it's not how you share the gospel. It's the, where the power is. It's the gospel where the power is. So as you talk to young people and kids and adults and older people, they may be reluctant to hear you or they may treat you rudely, but in politeness, you share the good news of Christ. 
that they might be saved. John 3.16. Turn your Bibles to the book of Titus, near the end of the Bible. Titus was written by Paul uh, to a young man who he had left to pastor a small, struggling church. And he gave him instructions. By the way, did you read the Bible this morning? Did you? You say, well, Sunday's busy. Well, get up an hour early. Do you know how long it takes you to read Titus? Three chapters. I'm a slow reader. I didn't learn to read till I was 21. And, and, and I can read Titus slowly in seven minutes. Now, it takes me a while to learn something. But if I read Titus this morning for seven minutes, and then I read tomorrow for seven minutes, and then the next day for seven minutes, you know, by the end of the month, what, what's going to happen? I'm going to know something about Titus. And then you say, well, man, what do you do about the other books? Well, what about the Gospel of John? 21 chapters. Well, I, mean, I can't read all 21 in the short time I have in the morning, so I'll take seven chapters. And so for this month, or for one week, or for two weeks, I'll read seven chapters. And then the next month, read the next seven. And then the next month, read the next seven. And you know, in three months, you're going to be called on by Pastor Walker to teach the Gospel of John. Because it has consumed you. Are you reading the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do you have your senses trained to discern good and evil? That you can, you, you may not know exactly where to find a verse in the Bible, but you've studied it and read it so much that you can sense from the, from the holiness of God what is right and what is wrong by what you've saturated yourself with God's word. So look at the third chapter, third chapter of Titus. And I'll read uh, verses 1 to verse 8. Paul is writing to Timothy and he, to Titus, and he says to remind the church, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, what? For every good deed. Isn't that interesting? Some of you just are not ready. You're not ready. You, know, you, kind, of, you kind of float through life. You, know, you, 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 sense, you see something that needs to be done, and you don't follow the book of James, which is he that knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him in his sin. And you just pass by. You're not, you're not ready. But see, this is instruction that we're to follow the instruction of the word of God. That we might be ready for every good deed. To malign no one. To be peaceable. To be gentle. Showing every consideration for all men. How many men? Well, I'm glad it didn't say women. Just joking. All men is everyone. Uh, why are some of us so prejudiced? You know, one, one of us, we, we have these little ethnic jokes about the Chinese and the Koreans and the people from Texas. We, we don't like the Iraqis and Iranians. And, you know, we, we, you know political situations kind of soak our mind with things that are not true for God's people. Every consideration for all men. The way we treat teenagers, young people. The way we treat people who might be poor, or the way that some of us who are poor, the way we snob the rich. Verse 3, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient and deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior, isn't that wonderful? I'm, I'm reading through, I'm in a Bible reading program I started the other day and two weeks ago and uh, I'm in the Pentateuch. I just finished the first five books of the Bible. And, and the, the, it's constantly, it talks about the loving kindness of God. Loving kindness of God. You know, Paul says the book of Colossians, he says, put on kindness. 
Are you a kind person? Some of you have known Christ for many years, haven't you? And you're still the old grumpy person you've always been. You know, what is it? You know, you know, you think that when you are with someone for many years, you've known Christ for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, you become more like him instead of more like our enemy. Who would have you be unkind to be a, a Christian? We say in the Philippines, Mananampalataya, uh, which means true believer, is a person who's kind to others, kind to others. You know, kindness is not the gospel, but it opens the door for you to share the gospel. Uh, last time we were in the Philippines, we were in a little donut shop, and my wife and I were waiting for someone, and they, they were late, and, and uh, we were over in the corner sitting next to the, like the garbage cans, and this very, this uh, very shy waitress was cleaning the tables, and she was putting the dirty dishes near our table, and as she kept walking by, my wife who's not outgoing necessarily, but she said, how are you? You know, como esta? How are you? And what is your name? And how long you've worked here? She was just kind to her. It's really interesting. You know, some people are not treated very well. And uh, waiters and waitresses in the Philippines are not kind of looked down on. And it's really something that when we were leaving, the girl met me at the door and she said, excuse me, sir. You know, they're not really supposed to talk to customers. But she said, excuse me, sir. Why are you so nice to me? Isn't that interesting? Now, do you think she pushed away the gospel track I gave her? Said, you know, because we're Christians and we'd like you to know God and Christ Jesus. Here, you can read this and you can know how to go to heaven when you die. Interesting. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, by the regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. The things, this, these things are good and profitable for men. May God add his blessing to his word. So for a few moments that we have this morning, I would like to look at uh, the book of Titus, six statements in which Paul, writing to Titus, uses the word good deeds. So let's briefly, you have an outline in your bulletin. We'll go through those quickly together. Matthew five sixteen says what? Let your light Shine before men in such a way that they may see, see your good works and glorify God in heaven. <clears throat> no, no, not the good works that you kind of hide. This is not let you, you know, don't let your left hand know what you're right hand doing. This is not that context. God wants people to see that we're doing something for his glory. They want to look at you, see good works, and what? Glorify God in heaven. That's the way a Christian is to live. Wow, that's what they're to see. Good works, which are obeying the commands and following the teaching of the word of God to the glory of God. Revelation fourteen thirteen says, their deeds follow after them. What kind of deeds are going to follow after you when you die? What are they going to say at your funeral? Acts ten thirty eight says, Jesus went about doing good. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? That's how it's described. You know, the difference between Jesus and us is most of us just go about. Jesus went about doing good. Grace through faith in Christ is the only thing that saves, not good works. Justification is Christ who died in our place on the cross for our sins. Our place, however, 
is to do good works which do not justify, but they glorify. You see that? <laughs> Our good works, they don't merit us anything in heaven. They don't even open the door to glory. But what they do, they glorify. They don't justify, but they glorify. Our Father in heaven. We love to quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but we leave out verse 10. Verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. But then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So basically this is saying, ladies and gentlemen, that if you and I are not walking in good works, we're not walking in the will of God. If we're not walking in taking care of our wife and kids like we should, if we're not walking in good works of respecting those over sin the Lord, if we're not walking and being honest with our taxes, if we're not walking in good works, we're not walking in the will of God. So let's look at these six statements of good deeds in the book of Titus. Number one, Titus 1.16, worthless, the word worthless. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless, unfit for any good deed. Here in the book of Titus, Paul condemns false teaching, false doctrine, but he also condemns the actions of false religions and rebellious believers. Both sound doctrine and action in accordance with a changed life, are necessary for a believer. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New actions and new associations and new desires and new love. We, all these things have become new. Something changes about us. And I was an alcoholic. I was drunk the night that somebody began to share the gospel. He shared the gospel, poured a cup of coffee, Gospel, coffee, gospel, coffee, gospel, coffee. Started at 2 o'clock, ended at 4.30. I was full of coffee, but I understood the gospel. I was sober, and I came to faith in Christ. I went to my room in exhaustion and fell asleep in my bed. Woke up the next morning, a new creature in Christ. You know, I didn't reach for the beer. I didn't reach for a a, a jug of of, of booze. (laughs) You know what I did? I washed up and shaved, had another cup of coffee, went down to a Baptist bookstore. Ah, I got, I got points in that, huh? <laughs> Baptist bookstore. And bought me a, a King James Version. <laughs> Thompson Chain Reference Bible. That thing was so big that if I had dropped it, I broke my foot. And my life was changed. My life was changed. I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. But you know, there's nothing like being called worthless, is there? No good, no account. You know, my teachers in school, my father, and stepfather and all this. You know, I was, I was a nobody. I was nothing. I was worthless. I remember even when I wanted to be a missionary, I worked here in Washington for three months and, and uh, the, the missionary leader was taking me to, to the Graham bus station to get a bus back to Canada to Prairie Bible Institute. And he said, Doug, because <laughs> I couldn't do anything. You know, I was basically a worthless guy. And he said, Doug, you really want to be a missionary? And I said, yes, sir. He said, forget it, because I, I don't know anything you can do. You know, and that, in a sense, encouraged me because I realized I had to depend upon God to accomplish anything. That's where he wants us. But it's nothing like being called worthless, is there? Well, what if it comes from Christ himself? Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41 to 46, Depart from me, you did nothing of worth. And what illustration did he use? You did not feed me. You did not give me to drink. 
You did not care for me. You did not clothe me. You did not visit me in prison. So when you hear about the needs of the world, how do you respond? 25,000 people die every day, mainly children of disease and starvation. Does that bother you? Here in Manila, my city, the Philippines, there's 100,000 children living on the streets. No mom, no dad. They live in the street. You know, I was sick not too long ago, and I had a nice warm bed. I had a toilet nearby that I could go to the restroom. Uh, fresh air blowing through the window. I had a wife that took care of me, bring me orange juice and chicken noodle soup that cures anything. You know, what does a little girl do who's six years of age, who's been raped the day before, who's living under a bridge, and she feels bad, she may have the flu. She didn't know what's wrong with her. Uh, what, what, she, no clean drinking water, no place to sleep, uh, no safety net to take care of her. Uh, what does she do? What does she do? You know, worthless. She did nothing to take care of kids. Uh, the prisoners throughout the, throughout the world that are living in utter degradation and they would love to someone to come to the prison and tell them about Christ and love them and care for them and give them a hot meal. Worthless. You know, that's the negative word here, but let's go to some positive. The second usage of good deeds is found in Titus 2.7. It says, example. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. And then it describes how? With purity and doctrine and dignified sound in speech. Three ways, see? Which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. And so how do we do this? How do we, how do we be an example? Well, three ways here. Number one, purity and doctrine. This is incorruptible speech, uh, teaching, a clear and courageous instruction in the balanced truth of the gospel. So I'll repeat it. My question, are you growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by spending time in the word of God? So what is your Bible reading plan? I know you started on January 1 with possibly a new one. Are you going to commit yourself to complete it? Not just so you can say, I read the Bible through this year, but that you might soak yourself in the Word of God. That you might have your senses, as I said before, trained to discern good and evil. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? And by the way, do you know what the best Bible reading program is? Today, pick up the Bible and read it. Tomorrow, pick up the Bible and read it some more. And then day after tomorrow, pick up the Bible and read it some more. This is the Samar Bible reading program. You know, carry it with you. Have a New Testament with you. You know, you're reading New Testament. It's really interesting. I was on a plane going to a conference in California. Uh, I got on the plane in Seattle, Alaska Airlines in Seattle. And, and I was upgraded to first class. Wow. Have you ever read in first class? Wow. I, I didn't tell them I was a missionary. <laughs> Especially a poor one. They wouldn't let me ride up there. But, man, it was nice. The seats are wider. They're bringing orange juice before the plane takes off. And, and I'm sitting there, and, I, and that morning, I, I had a little Gideon New Testament. I always carry with me, and, and, I, and I took it out. And I was committed that day to read the book of Romans as if I was receiving it. I was in a member of the Church of Rome, and I was receiving it from the Apostle Paul, and I was reading it all the way through, all 16 chapters. And so by the time I got on the plane, I was in chapter 5. And so I was sitting Next to the aisle, there's an old grumpy guy sitting next to me, and, and uh, he didn't want to talk anyway, and I'm glad because I'm deaf in my right ear, and I couldn't hear him anyway, and really, and I opened my Bible and started reading, had my orange juice. Man, this was, this was like dying going to heaven. 
And this flight attendant, man, she was outgoing. She was taking care of everybody. She was smiling. She was happy. And I had my Bible open like this. She came down the aisle, and then her head was right here looking over my shoulder. She said, what are you reading? Oh, chapter 5 of Romans. What a wonderful chapter about the Lord Jesus Christ. She said this out loud. Everybody hears her. And then she said, wow, that's a wonderful book. And then she left to take care of other people. I said, my goodness, that's really something. And the guy next to me says, do you believe that stuff? And I looked at him and said, well, yes, I do. He said, I don't. And I said, well, that's your problem. Excuse me for saying it that way. You know, sometimes you just kind of say things. And, and I said, uh, that's your problem. And he said, I, he said, I don't believe in that stuff. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm a pastor. I said, what kind of a pastor are you? So he told me, it's a Unitarian church. I said, I really feel sorry for you. You have no idea what the teachers preach or how to live or so forth. And he was so gripey and swore, just a terrible man. And uh, he said, what's in it for me, really? I said, well, let me ask you something, sir. Let's say I've never met you before and so forth. And I was trying to find a way to happiness and joy and peace and to know God. I said, if I'm going to, who would I look at? Who would I go to for instruction? Who would I lean to to try to help me in this situation? Would I go to you or that lady right there? Look at her. She's happy and joyful. She's giving herself to others. She knows Christ. Look at you. Look at you. And I shared the gospel with him. He kept trying to shut me up. And I kept going. And he shut me up. And I don't think he's going to hit me on the plane. He gets thrown off. And, and uh, I wasn't being rude to him, but I was so concerned for this man. I asked him for his card. He said, I'm not going to give you my card. <laughs> let you know who I am. But that reading the scripture opened the door for this man to at least be confronted with his sin. He knows the scripture, but he hasn't. An example in purity and doctrine and and dignity. Uh, look at the word dignity. What is this? Uh, it means seriousness. Not handling the things of God in a flippant and casual manner. Now, I'm not sure really how to apply this all the way, but how do we handle the things of God? Uh, is there any sense of seriousness and respect in the way we go about our worship and the way we handle the Word of God, the way we conduct ourselves? I, I'm not, I don't know. But you know, I was at a baptism. Somebody wants a baptism of these kids being baptized, all these young people. And one of the kids, they called his name. The pastor went like this for the boy to come down into the baptistry. And he just did a cannonball. He just jumped into the thing and water went everything. And you know what was shocking? Everybody in this huge congregation laughed, laughed. Boy, I was wondering if the... The wrath of God was going to come down on us. We flippantly, we, we go through these little things and we think things are funny. You know, God does have a sense of humor. We know that. But we're talking about how we go about handling the things of God. You know, I'm a study of, a, I wouldn't call it a hobby, but I, I studied the abolition movement and slavery. And uh, it's really interesting. You know, when I'm in black churches, I, I sense how slaves used to worship. Uh, you wonder why blacks will think, say things like, well, keep going. That's right. You know, you're on it. Keep going. Well, where does that come from? Come from slave days. Come from slave days. Here the, here the slave would be driving his master to, to church on Sunday. See, in the early days, slaves weren't allowed to even become a Christian. They weren't allowed to become, they weren't allowed to read. So they didn't have the word of God. They didn't, have, they didn't know how to read. And so 
they'd drive their master to church on Sunday. It's in the summertime. And so the slave is outside with the mule and the wagon, outside with the windows open in the church, and he hears the pastor preaching about Christ. And many of these slaves sitting out in the buggy outside of a church that they weren't allowed to go in heard the glorious gospel of Christ. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation. So in the afternoon, these slaves that had become Christians, they would go out in the brush arbor, the forest outside, when the master is sleeping off his mashed potatoes and fried chicken. You know, they're out there and they're going to worship together. And what would they do? Well, one, God always raises up leaders, pastors, and fellowships. And one that was like the leader, the spiritual leader would get up and on a log, he began to preach. And what would he preach? What would he preach? What would he preach? The message he heard that morning. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could listen to Pastor Walker give an hour message and go on and preach it. Many of us would have our... So this man would be preaching and, and you know, he, he kind of forgets something. Or he gets off a little bit. And, uh, and somebody says, hold on. Well, you know, it's kind of drawn back in. And then when he's preaching right, he says, that's right. Keep going. <laughs> keep going and they would worship together like this and do you know what else they do slaves would always when you go to a black church this is not criticism of what you were today but I'm just telling you an illustration you go to a black church downtown Seattle you know First Baptist downtown Seattle what are they wearing they're wearing the best I came from slave days they were going to worship God in their best in their best apply that the way you want but you know how do we treat respect you know, if you, you men, you're going to go out on your anniversary and your wife gets all dressed up. You're going to take her to Outback Steakhouse. You're going to really splurge. And she's all dressed up. And you walk out in your grubby jeans and a sweatshirt because you feel comfortable. You feel comfortable. Where's the focus? The focus is on you, not respecting your wife. It's really interesting how we are. People need to look at us. Not that we're wearing a suit and a tie. But there needs to be something about us to how we show respect and honor. If we show respect to our wife, let's handle the things of God in a respectful, dignified manner. First Peter 1.16 says, Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, for it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So apply that to yourself. Whatever the way the Holy Spirit would lead you. Also to be an example by speech. And speech which is pure and clean and not crude and uh, corruptible or unwholesome. Uh, Proverbs 13.3 says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 4.29. I was rebuked recently and criticized. And I thought of this verse because he was criticizing and condemning me and saying terrible things about me, uh, which I could have handled, which I have handled, but if he would have done it in a, a nice way, without crude speech. Even, even quoting things like, I'm speaking the truth and I'm speaking in love. I'll scare the liver out of me. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. Only such a word as good for edification, for building up. That people might be, be built up in the faith. Now let's go to the third one. The word worthless, an example. Now the word, Titus 2.14, zealous. Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. Now these verses teach that Christ died for three reasons, according to this passage. Number one, to redeem us, to save us. 
to, to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Number two, to purify us to become his church. His church to be a pure church. That's why the scriptures constantly tell him, remember, this, do this, don't do this. The scripture teaches us that we might become a pure church. And number three, to be zealous for good deeds. Now, zeal means passion. Christ died to produce in us a passion for good deeds. We call the death of Christ what? The passion of Christ. Well, the passion of Christ, he died that we might have a passion, a zeal for good deeds. Isn't that interesting? Someone wrote, God is not shown to be glorious by the good deeds. Excuse me. God is shown to be glorious by the good deeds of Christians. For that glory, Christ suffered and died. Without limiting its scope, the Bible means helping people in urgent need, especially those who possess the least and suffer the most. And who are these? These are especially children in the world today. Children and orphans. You remember 9-11? Remember 9-11? What happened on 9-11? Well, when the first reports came out, 6,000 people died, but now they say three. 3,000 people died. We read about it. Our history was changed in the United States and the world because of 9-11. Because of the people who died. Did you know also that on 9-11, 35,000 children died the same day? Did you read about that? They died the same, 35,000 the day before 9-11, on 9-12, 9-13, 9-14, and every day since. Now it's down to only 25,000 people a day, children. Are we zealous to care for kids? Uh, do you support an orphan? Don't you, don't you support an orphan? You know, you go to somebody like Compassion International and support an orphan like $38, $39 a month. Can't you do that? You know, there's probably 150 people here today. That's 150 kids that could be cared for, to be physically cared for and put them in a place that their minds can be, can understand the truth of the gospel and be saved. Can't, can't we do that? Can't we do that? Well, we can do that. You know, my wife and I, we adopted two children. Now we tried to give them back the next day, but they wouldn't take them, so we had to keep them. But two kids, but that, we only, that was only two. You know, we said recently, why only two? Why, why do we only adopt two? You know, some of you families today, have you considered adoption? Why not? Why not? We said, well, well, you know, I know what I'm bringing to my home, you know. They could be, well, look at your own kids, what you brought in. You know, God adopted us into his family. Look what he got. You know, in Isaiah, I read Isaiah the other day. Isaiah, you know, the first, I think, second verse says, you know, my children who I've raised, who I've brought up, yet they have rebelled against me. God, the perfect father, the perfect father, has killed the children rebelled. And God will give us the grace to take these children to our families. Why, why don't you adopt? Would you pray about adopting? Would you pray about that? Why don't we adopt? She said, well, I have five kids. Well, what's wrong with six? Well, I have six. Well, perfect number is seven. <laughs> you know, you, you think about this. You know, and you say, well, I'm too old to adopt. Maybe I can take care of some kids. Hey, we would love to have some of you old folks. You know, when you go to the Philippines, if you're old, you have respect right away. You know, older people, are, you know, have a wonderful time in the Philippines. You know, it's really amazing. In the Philippines, you know, you, uh, uh, you're, if it's your birthday, you bring the refreshments. You know, because you're showing that God has blessed you with another year, and you're going to share that blessing with others. So you announce when it's your birthday, or you're very selfish. So you got upset last year when somebody forgot your birthday. will come to Manila, and nobody's going to forget, because you're going to tell everybody. And besides that, some of you older people, aha, 
I'm 74 and I feel it. You know, you were going to die soon. Do you know it's cheaper to die in the Philippines? <laughs> Look at all the advantages we have of being old. You know, by the way, I gave a seminar on Let the Gray Heads Arise about older people and missions. And of all the missions, 360 that I have studied, all of them are asking for older missionaries. Older missionaries. Why not some of you that prayerfully consider that? Not just work with kids. In Manila, in the Philippines, we have 41,000 untrained pastors. Untrained pastors. We could put you in any town, any village, wherever, Philippines, just, just set you there. And you could be a, 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 a blessing and, a, and an encouragement to the local pastor. The average pastor in the Philippines makes $30 a month. $30 a month. Some of them only make 20 I was in the Philippines and a couple of years ago, and I had a bad infection. Went to the doctor, gave a prescription. I went down to Mercury Drug, drugstore, and they gave me a prescription, and it cost, it cost a thousand pesos. A thousand pesos. That's 20 bucks. Now, even though I don't make a lot of money, I had $20 to pay for that prescription. What would a pastor do if he had the same infection? And his whole salary is $20 a month? Boy, what a blessing you could be. Number four, to be ready. Titus 3, 1 to 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men. To be ready to say to God, God, what would you have me do today when you get up? I want to be alert to opportunities to glorify your name. In other words, don't waste your geography. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? So wherever you are, God has you there for a purpose, (laughs) to glorify his name. To to say something for his glory, to help somebody, to be prepared, to be ready, to have money in your pocket. You know, I was in a, a, a... Service station the other day, and the lady didn't have enough money for gas, and and uh, I couldn't have given her my credit card. I gave her my, I gave her some cash. I have cash in my pocket. Do you carry cash in your pocket? If somebody came up to you after church today and they need fifty dollars, could you give it to them? You can't give them a check; they're not going to cash it. You give them your credit card. You don't trust them with it. No, you have cash with you. Now, I don't want to make a big deal of this, but are we ready to help people? To schedule your time to be in the Word of God. Uh, to think, what would I do in this situation? You know, I read the story of this escaped slave. Uh, they would escape from the south and go up to the north where they were free. And one route was through Kentucky to Ohio. And you get to Ohio and across the river, some of the places you cross the river, you'd be in Ohio, but sometimes they didn't know whether in Ohio or not. And the slave escaped. For some reason, it was a terrible time of the year. He escaped in winter, so it was deathly cold. He was, he was uh, hungry, he was starving to death, he, he, he was cold, and he, he had to get some food. He came to a farmhouse, saw early in the morning, saw the smoke coming out of the chimney, knew some, they were awake, and he was he, fearful. He didn't know whether he was still in a slave state or in a free state, and, but he had to get something to eat and walked up and knocked on the door. And this Christian Ohio farmer, white farmer, opened the door and sees this shivering black man. Bang! Nobody comes to visit out in the country, and there he is right there. He didn't know whether he was violent. He didn't know anything. But, and the man started to say, excuse me, could I have some food? And the Christian man reached out, grabbed him by the arm, pulled him inside, took him over and set him down in front of the fireplace and said, we will not talk right now. First, warm yourself, and I will fix you some breakfast for you, and then we will talk. Instantly, he was ready to do something for the glory of God. Wow. When we first went to the Philippines, we were in a little town in central Philippines and out on an island and uh, woke up in the middle of a typhoon and my wife had appendicitis and I had to get her a doctor. 
I go next door and borrow a motorcycle, a little scooter, and I said, where's the nearest doctor? And the person here at 4 o'clock in the morning, they said, uh, there's a doctor like you. And I understood he meant Christian. There's a doctor like you down there in Malawan Luan, little village. And so I put Margaret on the back. Can you imagine? She's got a appendicitis. And she's riding on the back of a motor scooter. And I'm trying to miss the hose and riding in the dark. And she had an umbrella because of the rain. And we're trying to make the, find Malawan Luan. And saw a man, everything dark, no electricity. And saw a man with his, pulling his, oxen in Carabao and into shelter because of the typhoon. And, and uh, I said, where's the doctor? And he said, over in that little house. And I walked over to the house, knocked on the door, and knocked on the door. And, you know, it was 4 o'clock in the morning. The door opens. I didn't see anybody. And then I looked down to this little man who was like a midget, little Filipino. And you know what he said to me? 4 o'clock in the morning, banging on the door. They're in safety because of the storm. You hear somebody in need comes to the door. Opens the door. May I help you? I said, doctor, my wife. And before I could even say she was sick, he reached out and took her by the hand, brought her inside, gave her a blood test and said, I think she might even have a burst of appendix. I have to operate now. He put her on the table. You know, he's so small, he had to stand on a, on a, on a box to operate. I held the lantern uh, for a while. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he gave her a spinal and he operated on it and saved her life. <laughs> Can I help you? By the way, I was speaking in a very large church in the Philippines. 30 years later, I had not seen that doctor for 30 years. And <laughs> preaching in this church, and it was just before I went up, you know how you have this meet and greet and huggy bear, kissy FaceTime, you know, and stuff? Well, I, they had one of those in this church. And, and, I got, and I looked over, and there he was. And he hadn't been married. And he, now he was married, had, had daughters, and they were brought him to, from the hospital where he was dying because they heard I was speaking. They wanted him to see, meet me again. And, they brought him in, and, and he said, and I went over and hugged him. Well, when I got up to speak, it's a huge platform, way up here, way up here. You know, I was speaking, and I was speaking in Colossians chapter 3, and I talked about kindness. And I talked about because of the kindness of this little unknown doctor in the middle of the Philippines. Because of his kindness, it was encouraged us because we were so despondent and discouraged and going through culture shock. We were ready to leave the Philippines. And yet, because of his kindness... We stayed. And I said, we stayed because, and I haven't seen this man for 30 years until 10 minutes ago. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Santiago, wow, you could not have produced this by Hollywood. 6,000 people stood up, gave a standing ovation. People went to him and hugged him because many of these people had been blessed or led to the Lord or discipled because of our various ministries over the years. And, and yet, they so looked upon this man was instrumental in helping them to know Christ. Are you ready to be kind? Let's briefly go to the last, last two. Worthless, example, zealous, ready. Now the word careful. Titus 3.8. This is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who believe God will be careful. See, ready and careful, about the same word. Ready, careful to engage in good deeds. These are good and, expect, and profitable for men. Careful, thoughtful, living for Christ in good deeds. In the power of the Spirit of God, to the glory of God, careful. Believers should be continually thinking of how to do good deeds. When good deeds, what good 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 deeds are you therefore going to be engaged in today? After you hear this message, careful to be thankful, to live a life of praise, careful to be kind, to do special projects that no one is helping with. Do you have missionaries in this church? Why don't some of you 
become their advocate. Why don't you pick a couple? And they are your, you're their advocate. You're their representative to this church of their ministry. Every time you go to Bible study, you're bringing up their prayer request. I mean, you're bugging. People know that you're coming, man, you're going to be talking about these missionaries in Uganda. You know, we look at, we, we're careful to think through what we could do. One of my best friends who bought a car three years ago is Phil Calloway. He's a, he's a public speaker in Canada. Some of you read some of his many books. He's speaking at a conference in which he was being paid to speak at, Christian conference in Ontario. So he gets up before these men, about 500 men, and he's going to speak. He's given there a certain topic that he was discussing. And before he spoke, when he was being introduced, the, the introducer, the master of ceremonies, kind of was overwhelmed with a problem, and he broke protocol. <laughs> this was a professional meeting of Christians. And he says, you know, I have to share this. He says, there's a friend of mine going back to Haiti. And, and he, he didn't have the money. And I'm concerned he has to leave in a week. And he, he didn't have the money. And, and this work is suffering in Haiti and so forth. So he just poured out of his soul at a place he wasn't supposed to. And this man, missionary, needed $4,000. He said, would you pray with us? Would you pray for that man? Not going to take a collection or anything. He said, oh, let's pray for him. He said, Phil, when you come up to speak, would you pray for him? Well, Phil came up to speak, and he, he said, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to pray. $4,000, there's 500 of us here. He says, let's take an offering. He reached down and takes off his shoe. He says, fill up the shoe. And so guys were grabbing their money, and people were excited. And pretty soon somebody yelled out, we need another shoe. And they raised $4,000, just like that. What is that, eight bucks a piece for 500 people? Are, are you careful? careful to engage in good deeds. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. And my last one, number six, learn. Titus 3.14 says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Do you want to be fruitful? Well, you see what, how people are doing. You see how God is blessing them. Get up next to them and learn. You hear something that other churches are doing. Or Sunday school classes, or Bible studies, or outreaches. Uh, well, learn from that. God brought that information that you might be able to apply it in your own situation. Charles Spurgeon is my hero, one of my heroes, and he was a pastor in London, England. And uh, you know, when my my first my first grandson came along, one of them, one of them, yeah, my grandson, he he was born, and my son Robert named him Douglas after me. Can you believe that? Douglas Charles Nichols. And I, and I was kind of la la land thinking. I said, Robbie, I know where Douglas comes from, but where's Charles? And Robbie said, Dad, you're a hero. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, people loved him in his church, and they gave him a birthday party. And the way they gave him a birthday party, you know how they honored him? You know, over a thousand people gathered. They honored him by the various leaders of the various groups Outreaches of that church would come up and give a report how God used them to bring people to salvation in Christ. And they honored him by him. He's he's teaching them and they're putting into practice what he's teaching. And so that's how they honored him on his birthday. So it's his birthday. And so all these people gave reports and a group of women came up and gave their report. And they saw more conversions than any other group. You know what group it was? It was a women's flower committee. Not the bakery, F-L-O-U-R, F-L-O-W-E-R, the flower committee. These women, once a week, would gather in the basement of the church and they'd bring these flowers 
bring all these flowers to church. And uh, I don't know where they got them. Maybe they stole them out of somebody's garden on the way to church. All these flowers. And they would take them and they would arrange the flowers in beautiful bouquets. And then three other women would take the bouquets and, and they'd break up in the teams. And they'd go door to door to hospitals and to prostitutes and others and give people a bouquet of flowers. You know, when you give flowers to somebody, what do they do? They take it. And what do they say? Is this some poor lady for me? <laughs> this is for me. And then they open up the word of God and share the gospel. And many of these prostitutes and people in the hospital and the poor and the shut-in came to faith in Christ because of the Women's Flower Committee. So my question to you is this. Does this church need a flower committee? No, not, maybe not an actual flower committee. But you see a group of people that are not being ministered to. They need help, encouragement, challenge, and need the gospel. You know, why don't you start something? Why don't you learn to, to minister to those people for the glory of God? Let me close. Now, remember, grace is the root of our life in Christ. Good deeds are the fruit of our life in Christ. Fruit of the tree of salvation. So can people see the, and experience the lush and ripe fruit in your life? as you have learned to devote yourself to good deeds. Good deeds in Titus, not to be worthless, but to be an example, to be zealous, to be ready, to be careful to do and to learn. Remember, the light of the world is Jesus. Does the world see the true light, Christ, because the light of the gospel through your good deeds is shining, giving him the glory, giving him the glory. There was a young man who heard a message similar to this at Hollywood Manor Community Church. And he, uh, he had never done anything for the poor. So he, he takes some money, young man in his 20s, Sue Arstead's brother. Remember Sue Arstead? And he goes downtown Seattle. And he's walking down First Street until he saw the first poor man just sitting there in his filth and agony. And he began to minister to him. And he was a young man, black, from North Carolina. His name was Willie. He started talking to Willie. Willie, what are you doing here? Well... I rebelled against my family, my grandmother, my mom, always yelling at me about Christ and goodness. And I just wanted to rebel. I came all the way to, as far as I was, 3,000 miles away, all the way across the United States to Seattle. And uh, I haven't been able to get a job, and I'm filthy and all this stuff. I've lost everything. And, and uh, you know, same story that many of these people face. <laughs> and so our friend shared the gospel with him. And then he said, when he finished, he said, Willie, if you had anything else, what, what, would, you, what would you like to do? If I could help you. He said, well, I'd love to go home. I'd love to go home to my mom. And the young man was 23, 24. I'd love to go home to my mom. I need to get back to North Carolina. Well, you know, sometimes people take advantage of you. We know that. But my friend took him over to J.C. Penney's. J.C. Penney's used to be downtown. To J.C. Penney's, and he bought him a clean shirts and underwear and so forth. Took him into the bathroom. <laughs> Cleaned him up. Had a, bath, had a bath right there out of the sink. Cleaned him all up and shaved him and, and so forth. And then he put these clean clothes on. Took him across the street and got him something to eat. Then he walked down. You know how you walk down First Street down to Greyhound Bus Station, maybe about 9, 10, 11 blocks, and bought him a ticket, non-refundable ticket to North Carolina. He bought a sack and put some food in it. Gave the, he gave the young man some, some money to buy some more food on his way. It'd take about three days to get to North Carolina. And, and he prayed for him and left him knowing that he'd probably never hear from him again. Never hear from Willie again. But you know, like, that, like the other day, I was taking advantage of a man at the dollar store. I gave him way too much money. Christian who fooled me. who was a smooth talker. 
But you know, who did I give the money to? I give it to God. You know, it's, it's, it's his money. Uh, we need to be wise. And I got suckered in. You will be suckered in. I'm experienced in working with the poor. And I fell so quickly. But folks, that will happen to us. So he, he, he went home knowing that he'd never, maybe never hear from Willie. Three days passed. The phone rang at his home. And he answered, <laughs> Willie's mother. Willie's mother, she said, I just wanted to phone and tell you that Willie's home. Praise God, Willie's home. Somebody's going to phone you today. Somebody's going to phone you today. Praise God. Thank you for helping. May God be glorified. Willie's home. Second Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of the call. May he give you the power. May God give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus would be honored because of the way you live. Praise God, Willie's home, because of the way you live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Titus. Thank you for leading Paul to write this to this young, struggling pastor that we, many years later, in Arlington, Washington, on a cold Sunday morning, I'll be challenged in our life for you. Father, you're so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.